And I uh, feel such a great honor to be before you speaking God's Word on this topic. We want to use these special topics to apply the counsel of God to the challenges of this generation. We want to use these special topics, these times, to apply the counsel of God to the challenges of our present generation. And what we want to talk about today, based on your interests, is how to honor God with your money. How to honor God with your money. And um, I want to be upfront and honest with you. I feel for you so deeply on this topic. I feel for you deeply on this topic. I wish we could take the next five hours, but we don't have that long. Um, I feel for you because I think that you face particular challenges that no generation in America has ever faced before. And there's several of them. You were born and raised in a post 9-11 world. There's never been another generation in America that has been born and raised in a post 9-11 world. In 9-11, there was a direct attack on the mainland of the United States. The direct attack on the mainland of the United States, it came from uh, an army of no nation. It came from an army of no location. It happened out of the blue. And two buildings in New York City fell. You've been born and raised in that. Um, and what's developed over the years since then is that mass violence has become the regular recourse for people with deep grievances. That's just become the regular recourse. I'm deeply grieved. I'm dissatisfied. I don't like my life. What should I do? I guess I'll walk into the nearest school or church or concert and I'll take as many people out with me as I can when I go. That's the postmodern world that you've grown up in. Nobody else has grown up in that like you have. You didn't choose that. It's just what was, it's just what you got. Secondly, the advent of smartphones and social media has completely changed the way that we live daily life. Now we are aware more than ever of others' strengths and our own weaknesses. We're aware more than ever of others' strengths and our own weaknesses, of others' abilities, our own incompetencies other successes and our own failures, and we see that all the time. This isn't scripture, but Teddy Roosevelt, President Roosevelt, Theodore Roosevelt said, comparison, comparison is the thief of joy. Comparison is the thief of joy, meaning that steals your joy away, and that's true. And now we have the ability to do that in an amplified way, 24-7, 365 days a year. We're comparing the Instagram feeds, the curated, filtered reality of somebody's Instagram feed and comparing it with our humdrum, boring, largely not that pretty normal life, what we come away with is pretty real sadness. We're able to see the successes of others and our own failures, how we don't measure up. And we see that all of the time. We're bombarded with a tyranny of now, more information, more tragedies, more more ways in which I don't match up. It's coming at me all the time such that I can't even think. I can't even hardly go through normal life because I'm constantly aware of what I lack in. Thirdly, you grew up in the Great Recession. It may not mean that much to you, but it's the second largest economic downturn in, in human history. Second to the Great Depression. 
Great Depression. You grew up in the Great Recession. That means you saw a lot of your moms and dads, your aunts and uncles, your grandparents, you saw them lose their jobs in 2008 and 2009. You saw your older millennial brothers and sisters, older cousins. You saw them go to great schools and get a great degree and graduate with huge amounts of debt and have zero jobs available for them. You grew up watching that. And you know what? That works on you. Works on me. I knew what life was like before then. It works on me. It works on all of us, and it does something. It fosters anxiety in our heart. Fosters anxiety in our heart. It's like miracle grow for anxiety to just grow and foster and develop in our heart. When we're anxious, when we're anxious, we need something to trust in. When we're anxious, when we're scared, we seek, we need security. When our heart is embattled by anxiety, we need security. Where do you think we naturally turn to get that? It's not Almighty God. It's the Almighty Dollar. When we naturally turn, where do we go? Where do we trust Him? Where can I take refuge? What can I rely on? Unfortunately, we don't turn to Almighty God. Look to somewhere else. Don't take my word for it. Let's read Matthew 13, 22 together. Ready? Go. What's paired with anxiety? That's right, riches. It's money. These two always go in tandem. They go together. You got anxiety? You need security. Where are you going to turn? Naturally, we turn to money. These two always go together. So much so that primarily now, the way people's identities are formed, it's not so much like, oh, who am I? Where did I come from? What's my family like? What religion did I grow up in? It's, it's not that. Primarily, the way, the primary factor for forming our identity now is what's my resume look like? What's my GPA look like? What kind of financial security can I provide for myself? That's the primary way we form our own identity now. I want you to notice, what's the modifier of riches? What comes right before riches? Some of you already said it. Deceitfulness. Riches are deceitful. Why? Because they provide zero security. Money doesn't provide a drop of security. It doesn't provide a drop of security. If you were wealthy and famous with prestige and position in Germany in World War I, you would come out on the other side of that and it would cost you 200 billion German marks to buy a loaf of bread. How about that? Anybody in here got $200 billion? Over the course of a few years, your billions mean nothing. They would actually take their German marks. What used to be good for exchanging goods and services, it's just paper. It's just paper. They would actually take them and say, oh, I need $200 billion of those to buy bread. This is actually better for me to build a fire with. So that's what they started doing with their dollar bills was they started making fires. It's worth nothing. Riches are deceitful. We think they provide security. Actually, they afford us zero security. 
Luke 16, 9 says, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth. Make friends for yourselves by means of the mammon of unrighteousness so that when it fails, not if it fails, so that when it fails, they'll receive you into the eternal tabernacles. What's God think about money? If you turn to Scripture, it's going to tell you there's a day coming in which your bank account, all it is, it's just numbers on a screen. It means nothing. It's not worth anything. You can't buy bread with it. The dollar bills in your wallet, in your purse, it's just paper. Blow your nose on it, throw it away. It's not worth anything. It doesn't provide you security. Now, what happens? We're motivated by anxiety. We're seeking security in riches. What happens to us spiritually when that happens? Look at the verse. These two in tandem, anxiety and riches, they utterly choke the word. Circle that. Utterly choke the word. Anybody in here have the word of God in their heart? Yeah, yeah, you all do. You all do. You've been here this weekend. Haven't you had God's word sown into your heart? What I want you to realize is there is something that is seeking to suffocate God's word in your heart all day, every day. All day, every day, 24-7, 365 days a year. The anxiety of the age and the deceitfulness of riches are seeking to choke out the goodness of God's word that's been sown in you. Think about this. It doesn't matter how much you sow in. If it all gets choked out, you never make any progress. You realize that? In large part, brothers and sisters, I want you to realize that your spiritual progress here forward will largely be determined by how you deal with this matter. How can I say that? Because God's word says it. Utterly choke the word. Oh, I'm doing my Bible reading. I'm doing my Bible reading, but I'm anxious. I'm under the weight of anxiety, and I'm seeking security in riches. They cancel out. No progress. I'm burdened for you because you've been lied to your whole life. You have, I have, we all have. We've been lied to our whole life. We've been sold a false vision, a false definition of what the good life is. Our culture has bought into it so much that our nation was founded upon it. It's what drives the entirety of our nation. What lie is that? What vision is that? What have we imbibed that's actually leading us in the wrong direction? It's the American dream. It's the American dream. What's the American dream? If you can get inside, if you can get inside these borders, this is the land of opportunity. It's the land of opportunity. And you know what? If you get here and you dream it and you work hard enough, you will not be denied and you're going to make lots of money. You're going to make money as the world has never seen. Welcome to the most affluent and wealthy society that has ever existed. If you can get inside these borders, you can make lots of money. And when you make that money, you can buy stuff, and you can buy satisfaction, and you can buy security. That sound familiar? It's what you've basically gotten from just about every movie you've ever watched. 
every show you've ever seen, every song that you've sung. This is what we've wholeheartedly believed in as a, as a people. You know what Jesus would say to that? He'd cut out the legs under the American dream with one half sentence. No one's life is in the abundance of their possessions. No one's life is in the abundance of their possessions. Luke 12, 15. No one's life. Life cannot be found in possessions. What you might be thinking is, oh yeah, that's not me. I don't need an abundance of possessions. I just need, a, I just need enough for me. I, I'm not that guy. I'm not that guy who's going to waste my life trying to be a super rich, and I don't need an abundance of possessions. But here's the deal. If life can't be found in an abundance of possessions, life can't be found in fewness of possessions. <laughs> if, I can't, if life can't be found in a lot of possessions, life cannot be found in possessions, period. It's time for us to wake up from the American dream to a blessed reality. No one's life is in the abundance of his possessions. This rags to riches story, it's how we fundamentally understand success. It's Cinderella. It's a rags to riches story. It's Cinderella. It's Rocky. It's Annie. It's Catch Me If You Can. It's Forrest Gump. It's Slumdog Millionaire. It's Pursuit of Happiness. It's Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. It's The Social Network. It's the real life of Mark Zuckerberg. I don't tell you all these movies, so you'll spend the next three days watching them. (laughs) I tell it to you so that you can realize we've been indoctrinated with a framework of success. And what Jesus is saying is no one's life is in their possessions. What I want for you is a better story. I want a better role and a better story with one that actually delivers its happily ever after. The American dream does not deliver a happily ever after. Right after Jesus spoke this in Luke 12, 15, he told a story about a certain rich man. Some of you are thinking, I ain't rich. (laughs) But actually, actually, you are unfathomably wealthy. What would be normal for a first century Jew in Israel, you are unfathomably wealthy. If you have a roof over your head, you have running water, you have some kind of transportation, actually you're in the top 15% of wealth in the whole earth. Even if it's public transportation, you're in the top 15% of wealth in the whole earth. He tells a story about a certain rich man. And what's that rich man do? That rich man sows into his field. He gets down into agriculture That's hard work. Being a farmer's hard work. And he works hard enough that his land brings forth abundantly. Don't just think like, oh, it was a miracle. No. Your land's going to bring forth abundantly is because you worked that land. This certain rich man, he got down on that land and he worked hard. He was diligent. And then what happened? His land brought forth abundantly. You know what he did? He tore down his barns because he's preparing for the future. He tore down his barns. He said, I'm going to build larger barns that can house all these crops. That way I can provide for myself in the future and my family. I can retire early. He built larger barns, all that crops in there. And then he says, soul, rest, eat, be merry, enjoy life. You did it. 
You worked hard. You got after it. You studied your field. You succeeded. You provided for your family, yourself, in the future. Rest. Be easy. You made it. Be merry. What you expect, what you expect is for God to come in and say, next, you were so close. You were so close. You could have, you could have had the whole package. You were so close. You spent your life working hard. You provided for yourself. You set yourself up for retirement. You were so close, but you missed me. You could have had the whole package. That's what you expect for him to say. That's not what he says. God comes in and responds, you fool. You fool. Foolish one. All these things, you've worked your whole life to provide for yourself. You fool. Your life is being required of you this night. Whose things will these be? Whose things will these be? Luke 12, 21, so is he who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. So is he who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Having Christ and the American dream is not the full package. If you don't get Jesus, it's not like, oh man, I, I almost had the full package. Jesus is the whole package. Jesus is the package. Jesus is the treasure. So is he who is not rich toward God. What I hope you hear today is a call for a better role in a better story that actually delivers on its happily ever after. Most of us are asleep. We're asleep and we think it's a dream, but actually it's a tragedy. But there's a blessed reality for us to wake up to. I want this for you. The good news of Scripture is that the same man who said life is not found in things, life is not found in the abundance of your possessions, the same man who said that said, I am life. I am life. I came to give you life and to give you life abundantly. John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father. You can come to the Father through me. John eleven twenty five. 25, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes into me shall not die. He shall live. Amen. I am the life. Amen. I hope you get a better story. That's right. I hope you wake up from the American dream. There are greater riches to be had. And his name is Jesus. Matthew 6, 24, you cannot serve two masters. You cannot serve two masters. You cannot serve God and money. It's impossible. And most of us, frankly, we spend the whole of our life trying to. Because it's, what, it's just what we've known it's not our fault. It's just what we've been brought up in. It's what we've been taught. We're all the same. We all start out on the same level. But I hope you make a blessed choice. I heard a story about a college student years ago who was praying over Matthew 6, 24, and he decided that day, I will not serve money. You poured your blood out for me. I pour my life out on you. 
I love you, Jesus. I want to serve you the whole of my life. I will not serve money. I want that for you. I hope you can't sleep tonight. (laughs) You know, I've got small children, and so there's a lot of sleepless nights for me. I hope you have a divine sleepless night. (laughs) I hope you would go to the Lord and you would tell him, I want this. I want this. Would you make this real for me? I don't want to sell my life out to the American dream, worshiping the gods of health, wealth, and prosperity. I want the real thing. I want life. I set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life. Choose life. Choose life that you and your seed may live. I feel like I'm testifying on behalf of every one of the men and women that serve you at their college campuses. And I feel like it is the greatest privilege of my life to tell you this. This is the testimony of my life that Jesus is better. Jesus is better. Jesus is better. Jesus is better. There's something better than the American dream, and his name is Jesus Christ. Jesus is better. What I hope, what happens, what I hope is that God raises you up to overcome this generation that is embattled by anxiety, that is driven to seek financial security. God's going to raise you up as an overcomer. What's that mean? It means you overcome the situation you're in. You overcome the situation of your generation. You know what he's going to do? He's going to gain you, he's going to win you, and he's going to send you to the ends of the earth. You know what's going to happen when you get there? God's kingdom's going to come. Wherever you go, God's kingdom is going to come. Wherever you go, the world's going to get turned right side up. When you get there, you're going to articulate the gospel clearly. You're going to demonstrate the gospel visibly. You're going to articulate the gospel clearly. You're going to demonstrate the gospel visibly. How do I do that? One of the ways is how you use your money. I want you to write this sentence down. This is my one sentence summation of what these verses tell us. Okay? Take it for what it's worth. You study the verses later. I want your summary later on. We honor God with our money. We honor God with our money by giving it, comma. We honor God with our money by giving it, using it, and losing it. We honor God with our money by giving it, using it, and losing it in such a way. We honor God with our money by giving it, using it, and losing it in such a way that Jesus is displayed as the greatest treasure in the universe. We honor God with our money by giving it, using it, and losing it in such a way that Jesus is displayed as the greatest treasure in the universe. That's how we honor God with our money. Wow. How do you feel about that? I'm so excited it's only 15 minutes in. Is that true? Oh, I got till 12.15. Okay, well, we still got time. 
We honor God with our money by giving it, using it, and losing it in such a way that Jesus is displayed as the greatest treasure in the universe. Hope you remember this the rest of your life. Give it, use it, lose it. Say that. Give it, use it, lose it. Okay. The good life is not earthly accumulation. The good life is heavenly dispensation. The good life is not earthly accumulation. The good life is heavenly dispensation. He giveth more grace when the burdens grow greater. He sendeth more strength when the labors increase. To added affliction, he addeth his mercy to multiplied trials, his multiplied peace. When we have exhausted our stores of endurance, when our strength has failed or the day is half done, when we reach the end of our hoarded resources, our Father's full giving has only begun. His love has no limit. His grace has no measure. His power, no boundary known unto men. For out of his infinite riches in Jesus, he giveth and giveth and giveth again. And then what's he do? He giveth and giveth and giveth again. You know what he does after that? This is who, this is who our, our God is. He's a good, loving, giving father. It's who he is. And you know what? As his children, this is our destiny too. As his children, it's our destiny that we would be just like him. You know what he is? He's a good, giving father. And you know what? He's joyful. He's not like, oh, gosh, i got to give again. Let me throw a, throw a little grace down. No. He's good, and he's joyful. Psalm 1611 says, in his presence is fullness of joy. At his right hand, there are pleasures forever. Does that sound like a boring guy? You know what he wants for you? He doesn't want good enough. He wants the best. You know what the best kind of life is? It's a life that matches his. It's a life that gives. How do we honor God with our money? By giving it. To live otherwise would be to fight our own regenerated nature. To live otherwise would be to fight our own nature. Let's read Acts 20, 35 together. Ready, go. Remember the words. Say that. I hope you remember these words. You want to remember these words? This is the apostolic command of Paul. Remember the words. What words? What words? Everybody say more blessed. You like a little blessed or more blessed? You know, blessed can also be translated happy. You like a little happy or a lot of happy? A lot of happy or more happy? Do you want to live a life that's um, distracted from day to day and just getting by and looking forward to the next vacation and then the next iPhone that's coming out and then the next iPhone that's coming out and then the next iPhone that's coming out and then the next iPhone that's coming out? Just distracted enough to happily get by? Or do you want to have a most happy life? 
It is more happy to give than to receive. It's more happy. Say more happy. happy. Don't, Don't take my word for it. Take God's word for it. You might think, no, no, if I'm real spiritual, I'm actually not happy. Well, you better read the Bible. Oh, what's it say to you? It is more blessed to give than to receive. Okay, you know what Jesus wants for you instead of the American dream? Something better, something happier. Like the sound of that? Anybody from Lubbock, Texas, like the sound of that? All right, see, Red Raiders got something going for them. Okay. This is even how Paul frames the gospel in 2 Corinthians 8 9. Jesus, he became poor that we might become rich. He became poor to enrich us. How do we respond in light of that? We give monetarily. That's Paul's argument in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. You go read it. Go read it. This is even how Paul frames the gospel. I mean, think about this. Okay, where do we start? If I honor God with my money by giving it, where do I start? What do I... I mean, what's that look like? Okay, I would encourage you to start with anything. Start with any amount of money. I don't just mean time. We're talking about money. Sometimes, I know because I've been a college student, it's kind of a cop-out. It's like, well, you know what? Actually, I don't have that money, so I'll give my time. Actually, you do have money. I know because I've been there. You're some of the wealthiest people on the earth. I know we always call you broke college students, but in the span of kind of worldwide health, you're one of the wealthiest people on the whole earth. You have money. You do. You don't have a lot of it compared to somebody else, but that comparison's relative. You do have money. How do you honor God with it? You give it. What do I start with? Start with anything. Start with any amount. But then I would encourage you, once you pray and see if you could work up to 10%, that's the Old Testament biblical, that's the Old Testament pattern. They would tithe. Tithe literally means 10%, meaning they would give 10% of all that they reaped from their work in the fields, and they would give 10% of that to God. Now, that's, that's not the pattern in the New Testament. The New Testament is, I give everything. But hey, how about starting with anything and then working up to 10%? The pattern in the New Testament, when the early church comes around, they just say, whoa, whoa, whoa. You mean the Messiah actually came and he died for me? He he bore my sins upon the tree and now he's poured out the Holy Spirit? Please take my money. (laughs) The Savior has come. Jesus is better. Take take it all. Oh, oh, somebody needs a field or somebody needs a job. Take, Take my money. But how about starting with anything? About praying and seeing if you could work your way up to 10%, and then may the Lord lead you. I want to give a pattern for you. John Wesley, he's a famous gospel preacher. John Wesley, he didn't make that much money. He didn't make that much money. Um, He would be living on about, in today's standards, he'd be living on about $20,000 a year. Okay, You graduate with a college degree, you're probably going to make more than $20,000 a year. But that was a livable income for him at the time. And he just took that and he said, you know what, I can live, I can make it. It's modest, but I can make it just fine on $20,000. Anything that I make above that, Lord, I give to you. 
Now, you know what? His first year when he started working and that money started coming in, he didn't make that much, over $20,000. But later on in his life, he started bringing in money that was more like $160,000 a year. What do you think happened to his giving? Instead of giving 10% of $160,000, he just gave everything over $20,000. So he ended up giving $140,000 that year. Now, when he met Christ, when he died and stood before the Son of Man, do you think he was happy about that decision? I bet you he was. And you know what? Only the Lord will know, but that may be your destiny too. Thank the Lord for patterns like this among us. Okay, so I know I can honor God with my money by giving it. Can I honor God with my money by, with like, by keeping it, like with what I keep? Is there any way to honor God with the money that I actually keep? Can I use it in such a way that like something positive happens out of that? God is honored with that, or is it only giving? No, good news. You can use your money to honor God with the money that you keep. You can do something with it strategically to honor God. That's spending it on human souls. How can you honor God with your money? By spending it, by using it on souls. Let's read 2 Corinthians 12, 15 together. Ready, go. Somebody say, most glad. glad. Would you like a life that's a little bit glad or most glad? Oh, oh, good. That means you want to be like the Apostle Paul. I most gladly spend, that's money. I will most gladly spend, that's money. Write a dollar bill there. Underline spend and write dollar bill. I will most gladly spend and then underline be utterly spent. That's not money. That's time. That's energy. That's affection. That's love. That's your being poured out on people. I will most gladly spend. Spend what? Money. I will most gladly be spent. My time, my energy, my affection, my being. On what? On behalf of your souls. On behalf of your souls. You know, when I was in college, we had these home gatherings with our alumni that opened their homes. Our alumni are still in the area that opened their homes, invite us over. And man, and man, just, just, I mean, throw it down. Throw it down, big feast. Every time I come, there's plenty for me to eat, okay? And I used to be even bigger than I am now. <laughs> I could eat a lot. I could eat a lot. And every time I would come, boy, big feast. Hey, man, great time. Boy, we're going to eat. We're going to get into the Word. Have a great time, fellowship. See you later. See you next week. And maybe I'm going to hit up multiples of them if, if that's possible, you know. It's a great time. It's a great time. And you know what? I got this thought. I got this thought. You know what? Hey, man, when I graduate, I want to do this. I want to do this. I want to open up my home, have people over, and just, hey, man, let's fellowship and eat and have a great time. Okay, I graduated. Praise the Lord. Okay. <laughs> I graduated. And, uh, I, I, you know, hey, I got married. Praise the Lord. And I got a home. I got a home. I mean I, had a, I mean, I had a place to stay before I got married, but you know what I'm saying. And, and, then, I, and then I was like, hey, I want to I wanna do this. 
I want to have some people over. Okay, so I, I invited some of the students over, and I'm going to HEB, and that's when it hit me. Oh my goodness, this costs money. <laughs> this costs money. All, all that food that I ate over the years, that costs somebody money. I, it was just like it never dawned on me before. Every time, every time I and the other students I was hanging out with, every time we went over to one of those home gatherings and ate and hung out, the people who hosted us, their bank account went down. I come over, they have less money afterward. <laughs> Think about that. And then I'm there, you know, it's like, oh, man, I got the card, and I'm, ooh. <laughs> Maybe I should think twice about this, huh? And, I, and I, you know, be honest with you, that, that thought has come up several times. It's like, oh, man, the brothers are coming again, and can, can we afford this? <sighs> you know, I felt like the Lord spoke to me. I felt like the Lord spoke to me. He, I felt like he asked me, what else are you going to spend it on? What else are you going to spend it on? What do you want in life? I shed my blood for these men and women. I shed my blood for them. What else are you going to spend it on? I opened my side for them. You can't open your wallet for them. Do you love me? Do you love me? Feed my sheep. It's okay if it costs you money. I shed my blood for these people. What are you going to spend it on? We honor God with our money by being captivated by Christ to the extent that we give our money and we spend our money. We use it on human souls. 2 Corinthians 9, 7 says, God loves a cheerful giver. You ever heard that one before? God loves a cheerful giver. Cheerful can be translated hilarious. You know what that looks like? Oh, the brothers want to come again. They want to eat my food. Ha, 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 ha. Woo! How's the bank account looking? Who cares? Ha, 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 ha. Woo! Yes! Yes! Hilarious giver! Ha 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 ha! Yes! Most glad. Most glad. I will most gladly spend. Think the Apostle Paul was a sad man? No doubt he was dealing with sorrows, but do you think? He says, most glad. I will most gladly spend. This is our destiny. Okay, we can honor God with our money by giving it and using it. But the third point says losing it. We can honor God with our money by losing it. What are you talking about, Chris? Glad you asked. What are you talking about? You mean like just leave it on the ground? Like, oh, great, made some money this week. Just throw it. Just, I lost it. No, no, that's not what I'm talking about. 
Not just leave it on the ground or just not work altogether. It's not what I'm talking about. New Testament says if you don't work, you don't want to work, you don't deserve to eat, okay? So it's not like that. For some of you, two, two, two reasons, two reasons. Some of you following Jesus, and I mean this seriously, this has happened to people sitting in this room. For some of you, following Jesus is going to cost you the financial support of your family. I say that in all seriousness. You don't have to live in India. You don't have to live in Tibet. You don't have to live in Afghanistan to be cut off from your family, at least financially. You don't have to live in a different country to be cut off from your family because you follow Jesus. That will happen for some of you. That will happen for some of you. It's happened to people sitting in this room. And when that's happened, you know the, the atmosphere, the spirit, those men and women that that's happened to, when I've been around them, you know what I've gotten? Jesus is better. Jesus is better. Jesus is better. Secondly, others of you, some of you, some of you will be cut off from your families, at least for some time, for following Jesus. It happens. Others of you, you're going to be called by God to serve him full time. We're all called to serve God. And we're all called to serve God all the time. But some of you, God will call to drop your job, hang up your degree, and most gladly serve him full time. And when he does that, what that's going to mean for you, it's going to mean losing. It's going to mean losing future income that would be headed your way otherwise. That's what happens. That's what happens. Um, and that's what's embodied in Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 and 8. Let's read it together. Ready, go. you to look at those verses and circle every time you see loss. Loss. What things were gains to me, these I have counted as loss. Moreover, I also count all things to be loss on account of the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, on account of whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as refuse that what? That I may gain Christ. I'd love to tell you more stories I got a couple stories right now. I wish I could tell you two or three. And I'll tell you what, I'd love to bring the men and women up here that serve you. I'd like to give them the rest of the afternoon and have them tell you stories. But we're not going to do that today. I'll leave you with this. I don't want for you a life of ease and comfort and success as defined by the American dream. I do not want that for you. I want something better. I want something that'll make you happier. I want something for you that'll be worth remembering in the eyes of Almighty God. You go back to 
Matthew chapter 26, you read the story of Mary. What he says is, you remember this woman. And you describe what she did on this day whenever you speak the gospel. The story of the gospel is that God so loved the world. The story of Mary is that she so loved the Lord. She so loved the Lord that she took what was probably her dowry and would have garnered her a good money-making husband. She broke, she broke it on Jesus. It wasn't just, oh, that's worth a lot of money. No, that was her future. She broke it on Jesus. Judas and the disciples said, what a waste. What I believe Mary's action said is that Jesus is better. Amen. That's what I want for you. I want you to have a life that Almighty God deems worth remembering. Martin Luther, in his famous hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. Doesn't that sound secure? Yeah. A Mighty Fortress is Our God. He says this line, and it's stuck with me, and it's been coming up in my heart again and again this past few weeks, let goods and kindred go. Let goods and kindred go. This mortal life also, the body they may kill, God's word abideth still. His kingdom is forever. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for these men and women. Thank you for bringing us to this day. We like to serve God. We like to be those who pour our life out on you. We say you're the best. You're worth it. Jesus is better. Lord, you're the greatest treasure in the universe. Give us a life that visibly displays that to this world. We love you. Thank you, Lord. Amen.